Warning, this episode contains adult language, mature situations, personal opinions, spoilers galore, vivacious rants, and speculation. Listener discretion is advised. Spark and Television Tuesday, Episode 8. Hello everyone, it's Tuesday, so what does that mean? It is Television Tuesday, the podcast brought to you by Spyrokin, where we discuss new television shows that appeared either on a streaming service or on television itself. I'm your host, Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjourno, and what's up, and hope you guys have been doing well. And yes, once again, it's just me. Greta is still away. It looks like she's going to be away for another two weeks, I think, so you'll just have to deal with my subtle tone. But I digress. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Like I said, this is Spyrokin Television Tuesday. Now, Spyrokin is a podcast that invents reviews about connectly enhanced narratives, things you do, watch, read, play, etc. And since this is talking about television and TV series, it's things that you consume by watching it. And these are various TV shows which recently came out. You can check any of our episodes at www.spiraken.com. That's spiraken.com. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, and various other social media sites. Just type in S-P-I-R-A-K-N, and I guarantee you find us one way or the other. Also, if you have any comments or concerns, you can email me personally at Zan, that's X-A-N, at Spirekin.com. Also, I will be at a con near you. We're going to be releasing two panels at Anime Next, but that's for our manga review. We'll talk about that then. So let's actually get to it, shall we? Because... This week has been full of thrills, chills, speculation, and some big reveals, which were rather shocking. Now, beforehand, let me remind you that we do all of our spoiler talk after the end credits, so we're just going to give an initial reaction to the episodes in the beginning, then I'll sign off, and then after the end music, I'll do all the spoilers. So, stay tuned for active music to hear your thoughts if you have watched these television shows. Now, the first one we're talking about is Nosferatu. Season 2, Episode 3, The Night Road, directed by Craig McNeil. And, wow, I gotta say, this is kind of an interesting twist on what happened. So, long story short, the repercussions of the first episode are seen in this episode, where we have our main character, Vic, uh, running away from her problems to go home to her hometown in Haverville, Massachusetts, and seeing how things have changed. Also, we have the repercussions of what's going on with Charlie Manx now that he's back and alive and well. This sets up a lot of important plot points, sets up a few characters that are going to be showing up later, and also it shows how Vic has changed since the beginning of this series. Now, not to go too far into it, but she is taking after one of her parents more than she would have wanted as a child. And it's kind of tragic seeing her in this plot point that she's in. And it's kind of sad. Also, knowing what we know about Charlie Manx now, because last episode we talked about his origins, this one, it gives him more of a motivation, and it's a little more sinister, shall we say. And I've got to say, this episode, this is a build-up episode. It's not as impactful as the last two, but it is an episode worth watching, and it's setting up a lot. So I'm going to have to say this one is a stream it, or watch it, you can check out Nosferatu on AMC or BBC America. Or, like I do, just watch on demand. That's how you check it out. So, we'll talk more about this thing in the show because there's a lot going on in that episode. Anyway, so next we have Snowpiercer Episode 8. These are his revolutions. Directed by Overadu Gout. 
I just got to say, wow, wow, wow. I did not expect the reveals in this episode. We finally find out the truth behind the big mystery of the show, and it's rather shocking. Also, Jennifer Connelly's Melanie, finally things have come to a head. All of her machinations, her plots, her plans have been undone because of everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks. So we have First Class attempting to take over the train. Then on top of it off, Leighton has finally decided with all this going on that the revolution is going to start. So you have Third Class and the Tailies now marching along and all the people who are helping them and defending them. So now officially we have a huge war going on. We have First Class against the Third and the uh, Tail. And Second Class seems to be like, yeah, we're not dealing with any of this shit. We're going to stay in our cabins this week. So... Wow, and this is the penultimate episode. Next week is a two-hour finale, which is two episodes together. We're going to see what happens. And this episode brought a lot of favorites back. We found a lot of things that were going on. And there were a bunch of twists as well. Things we didn't expect to happen. Uh, But this episode is violent. It's gruesome. There's a lot of action in it. And there's some developments that I'm just kind of shocked at. I really am. Also... Seeing certain characters change the way they have over time, it makes this show much more enjoyable, and it makes me look forward to the upcoming seasons. I want to see where this show goes. This one is a stream it right now. You gotta watch it. Definitely check it out and see where it's going. This one's gonna be good, good and fun. I can't wait to talk about the spores in this one because this one I'm kind of jonesing to talk about. Because holy shit. Okay, so now. Our third show, the show which I've shit upon for most of the week and talked about. Talking about Stargirl Episode 8. Sheev Part 2, directed by Gary McLeod. And I gotta say, this episode feels very different than the last episode. I think that Leah Thompson, who directed the last episode, did a better job with her setup than this episode. Because this episode had a lot of bloat to it. However, it did feel a little bit of refreshing and but anyway that's for you to hear there so stargirl episode 8 opens up in a way which i was just shocked at and it's just dealing with repercussions from the last episode last episode stargirl faced her first defeat against her comic book arch nemesis she who's finally been introduced and this is her recovering from that and trying to get the strength to be a hero again while this is going on uh one of the side characters henry uh, King Jr. is starting to realize he's more than he seems to be. And he's learning some truths that are happening. And this episode develops on that. Also, she, also known as Cindy, she is very, like, childish in this episode and very cat-like. Like, she's a cat playing with a mouse with some of this, the scenes in this. So she does a great job. You have some of the other leaguers involved in this episode you have our man dr midnight and wildcat and pat in this episode but they seem almost as a afterthought in their b plot uh they completely forget about what was going on with justin so this episode was not great it was a part two which sets up it's another setup episode but unlike with nosferatu's the night road which sets a lot of mythology up this episode was poorly done it rushes to the finish 
way too quickly. It goes, okay, here's what happens. And then run, 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 run. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And blarg. Honestly, this is my least favorite. This is my least favorite episode of the series so far. And there are some great elements to it. We do see uh, Mikey getting better in this show. I do like that, that he's establishes a better character. Like, I'm liking every other character except, well, for Courtney. Courtney has dropped to the lowest in the show right now. Well, that's not true. There is another character who is really upsetting me, but we talk about that in the uh, spoilers. So anyway, yeah, so for Stargirl Episode 8, Sheaf Part 2, this episode is a meh. You could take it or leave it. I mean... I'm going to stick with Stargirl to the end of the season, especially because the note of what's going on, because it just got renewed for a new season, so it's got a second season, and they're moving it from DC Universe, the streaming service, to CW. So we don't longer have this like debate of, oh, it's this week, and then moving over. Now it's officially going to be on CW, which on the one hand is kind of cool, because it does feel like it's more of a CW show, but on the other hand... I don't know, I think that the effects budget is going to drop dramatically because this show is very effects heavy and I think it's not going to be well. And I don't know if it warrants a second season. But let me know what you think. Email me, zanspirekin.com. Let me know what you think about Stargirl. Do you think that this show is worth saving at this point? Or were they insane for doing the second episode? Anyway, so I think that's it for this main part. So... Thank you guys for listening. Keep checking out our podcast. Hope you guys enjoy. And next week, stay tuned because that's going to be just spoiler heavy. I'm not even going to do a spoiler section at the end. Next week, I'm going to be... Actually, next week, I'm going to do a whole episode that is just dedicated to Snowpiercer. And then Television Tuesday is just going to be about Nosferatu and Stargirl. Maybe we'll talk about another show because some really cool stuff came out on Netflix. I'm thinking we're going to talk about Mr. Iglesia. But that's a debate for later. So with that in mind, I'm your host, Zan. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for after the credits to hear the rest of our spoiler talk. See ya!
And hello once again, it's Zan, and it is time for our spoiler section of the podcast. Now, if you did not watch the three shows this week and saw the most recent episodes of Stargirl, Snowpiercer, and Nosferatu, I highly recommend stopping the podcast, going to watch them, and then coming back, because this section is filled with spoilers, and we're going to go over a lot of the topics that I really wanted to get into but did not talk about in the show. So, you've been warned, now let's get to it, shall we? And we're starting off with Stargirl. Now, Stargirl actually opened up with one of my favorite scenes possible. It opens up with the theme song to Cannonball Run, one of my favorite comedies. It's actually a movie that we reviewed in the movie review all the way back in episode 10, like in 2009. So, it's been a while since we talked about that, but we open up with the Cannonball Run theme, and it's Pat driving his Buick. And he's like, he's revving the engine. It's actually like a fun racing scene. And you're getting kind of excited for it. But then you see that Pat runs his beautiful Buick that he loves. That he's had for so long. That he takes so meticulous care of. He runs it into a street light. Into a lamppost. And damages the car. The minute he gets out, he's okay. But he picks up the phone. Dials his wife, who is on a work assignment with her boss Jordan in another state which that actually was kind of well done where they're having dinner and it's they're being a little flirty but he's saying hey listen I gotta go do some stuff you eat you relax put on my tab have a good day he's interested but he's focused on his mission and I like that icicle is focused on the mission but you see Pat call her and say listen um we're okay but there was a car accident got banged up and next scene we see that Courtney wakes up in the hospital. She's like, what happened? Why are we here? And Pat tells her, yeah, listen, we, I had to bring you to the hospital. We were in a car accident. Like, hitting it. It's like, it's like but, but, but. It's like, what happened? The Buick is destroyed. She's like, but you love that car. It's like, yeah, but we can't. We got to tell your mom. We have to tell your mom the truth. And Courtney's like, no, 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 please don't. Please, I'll listen to you. I'll do whatever you say. I'll, 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 won't go on missions for a while. But don't take this away from me. Wait till after we stop the JSA. I have to stop the JSA. And it's... it's She is so obsessed with being Stargirl. She is willing to listen to her stepdad finally. As long as he doesn't tell his wife about what's going on. And at one point he actually was going to tell her what's going on. And she kind of says, I'm tired. We'll talk later. Because the whole story is that... He's teaching Courtney how to drive. He let her drive. It was late, and there was, and she caused the car accident. And it's pretty bad. It's like she feels bad. She's upset at Pat. And this is going to fracture their relationship, I think, because he's lying to her. And he doesn't want to lie to uh, Courtney's mom. He doesn't. He wants to be honest and truthful, but Courtney doesn't want to listen to that. She's begging him. So this is going to have repercussions for later on really badly. But... As this is going on, you have Cindy, a.k.a. Sheev, who is in deep shit with her dad. Because her dad's like, you didn't kill her. And you found out who she is. You beat her up, but you didn't kill her. So you're a failure to me. And you're not going to get a table at the ISA. You're not going to get a seat at the table because of what you did. Because you act like an impulsive child. And you wore your graduation suit, which I said you could not wear. And you took my staff, which is my staff. So get out of here. And essentially grounds her. He grounds her until he wants to. He 
Like, just get out of my face. I'm so mad at you right now. And this actually leads to one of the best scenes in the show. Because as she's venting, it's the next day, Courtney... Oh, before I'll get into that, but Courtney on the men, she's at home. Her mom came home early. She took care of her and lets Cindy into the house. And Stargirl just got her ass kicked by this girl, knows that this is the bad guy, and she has to act kind of like, uh, 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 like she's super high alert. And Cindy's acting like she doesn't know what's going on, that she's like, I came here to apologize. I was really upset yesterday because, you know, Henry didn't want to go then to the prom, and then this person didn't want to go homecoming, and then you blew me off, and I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to vent out at you. I really do like you. And I brought you some chocolates, too. And she brought the chocolates, but then Cindy starts eating them. Meanwhile, Courtney's like, uh, uh, what to do, what to do. It's this very tense scene because literally if Cindy knows who Courtney is, this is super dangerous. But she's acting like she doesn't know, she doesn't remember. It's more about her status as this girl. And it's this great cat and mouse scene that's just so tense-filled. And when you think that things are done and even and she says, oh, I gotta go. Uh, I got some things to do. I'll see you later, Courtney. And you think, oh, it's great. You breathe that sigh of relief. But then Cindy stops and says, oh, I completely forgot. I really like your staff, star girl. And you're like, wow, that's fucked up. It's a great scene that just is a mouth drop moment. And as this happens, it's she pretty much says, I'm not going to tell anybody who you are. But I'm going to kill all your friends and then I'm going to kill you. And this leads to Courtney suiting up and making an attempt to fight uh, Cindy. Now, meanwhile, three other things occurred in this episode. First off, you have Pat f- having a discussion with the cosmic staff. Like, he goes downstairs before uh, Courtney's mom comes home, and he begins to have a discussion with the staff. He's like, listen, I know you can hear me, and I know that you don't respect me, but I need to talk to you about this. Listen. Sylvester was a superhero for a long time before you came into his life, and he had a lot of experience. Courtney, that little girl up there, has had nothing. You have to take care of her. You have to watch over her. You can't, if it's too dangerous for her, you can't just keep putting her towards a danger. Push her away. And it shows, well, one, Luke Wilson does an amazing job in this scene. It's him conveying how worried he is about her, and I feel that the main job is to take care of Courtney. That is both of their jobs. And it's a great scene that just, it just shows how great of a character Pat is. And I love that he admits that, yeah, the staff doesn't respect him. It doesn't like him, but here's what he wants to do. And when he says, listen, give me a sign, glow, something that you heard me. It doesn't do anything. And he's like, oh, he's got to run back upstairs, runs upstairs. And then the staff glows like it heard him. It just was playing dumb. And I really hope that one day the staff will do something nice for Pat, really. Because Pat is such a good guy. And he is a great character. That scene just showed how much he cares about Courtney. It's just one of the best scenes with Luke Wilson. Now, another big scene is we see Mikey actually talk to Courtney after the quote-unquote accident happened when she gets home. And he brings over his favorite snack. He's like the bottom pizza rolls. It's like, you never give those up. He's like, yeah, well, listen, what we talked about yesterday, he was referring to his conversation where he admits that he's upset because she's stealing his dad. 
he says, forget about it. Don't worry about it. I didn't mean for you to get hurt. And they actually hash it out. And it comes to a point where he says, well, I guess this, you know, I guess this means I have a big sister now as well, because Pat being your dad means I have a sister. And she says, well, I've always wanted a little brother. And it's a very tender moment. And one, it shows Mikey growing up. And I love that fact, because he was such an annoying little shit. And then the last episode showing he's been acting out because he's felt threatened. And this resolution of this is a great character moment. And I do want to see where this goes. I want to see these characters evolve. And I'm actually excited to see where his story is going to go. Much more than Courtney's, because Courtney has been acting, well, very headstrong. Now, most of what I've been talking about is the A plot. Now, there's one other thing, and then there's the B plot, which is two parts. One is we have Henry Jr., the son of Brainwave, who he's gotten his powers and they've developed. And he's getting massive headaches that he's wanting to take some medication from. And he discovers his dad's secret lair. Also discovers that he has telekinesis and not just telepathy. He's got super mental powers. And he finds his dad. And he also finds out the fact that Cindy has essentially been hired to be his bodyguard. And that's why she keeps everybody away from him. And so he's got a lot going on. He's hearing every thought possible. And he's trying to self-medicate. And he knows who everybody is and he is just really stressed out like he's really like at first like once he learns he has the teleconnect ability he's like wow this is really cool but then when he finds that his dad's a super villain he's like i don't know what to do what the hell and this is going to lead to a struggle later on because he's super powerful he's his dad's son but will he follow in his footsteps or will he become a hero in the comics he eventually does become a hero but he does join the isa also so I do wonder where they're going to take this. Especially because Yolanda and him have such a big... They have issues. So finally, last part, the part I didn't really want to talk about. Because I haven't even talked about the fight between uh, Sheev and Star Girl Part 2. But the other plot is the JSA plot where you have Our Man really pissed off that Courtney got hurt. And he wants to just use the hourglass and storm in. And get revenge for what happened to Courtney. He's going to go to Cindy's house and cause some shit. And it takes Beth to calm him down because she just straight up stands up to him. He says, what are you going to do? Just stare at me? He's like, no, you're my friend. I want you to stop and think about this. I'm pissed off also, but we can't go like this. We don't know who it is. We don't know if it's a trap. So let's do this. I have a plan. It'll work. And her plan is to go to Cindy's house, pretend she's a friend, and she's going to stop by, and she's going to kind of snoop around while wearing the goggles also pat shows up and this also happens so they end up walking around and they see what's going on and this scene is kind of comical a little um awkward because they're trying to explain who beth is to pat and pat's like oh this is my stepdaughter my adopted daughter yeah and uh you know we're friends with cindy and it's them searching the house eventually they do discover that dr ito is cindy's dad and this is really bad. But the whole sequence of events that occur, it's... I want to say it's kind of dumb. You could actually speed right past it, to be honest with you. It's not super engaging and just... It just feels backwards a little bit. It feels like this should not have happened at this point. But 
It's giving them it's giving them something to do. I think this should have been just a a Cindy and Courtney episode where the JSA are just kind of in the background again to build up this relationship. It feels like this should have been done before the JSA was set up. That's my feelings on this. But I I'm digressing. So going back to like I said the original plot with Cindy and Courtney, Courtney suits up, goes to fight Cindy, huge fight happens. Henry shows up. Henry has his powers. You, and Cindy realizes she has that he has powers. She says, help me, help me. And Courtney's trying to figure out what's going on, is confused. And eventually, because of all the thoughts, Henry releases a huge blast and just essentially sends them both flying. And eventually he bumps into Courtney, is talking to her, and he realizes that Courtney is Stargirl. But he's like, get away from me. I don't want to think about this now. I gotta go. I gotta go. And he goes. Meanwhile, Cindy, uh, her dad's evil cult members grab her and drag her into the sewer because she's fucked up for the last time. Something's gonna happen to her. I hope she comes back, but she is in deep shit. Also, her dad, it shows him and he's like, oh, so he does have powers. My daughter was wrong once again. And that's where the episode ends. As I said, there are some great elements to this episode. But a lot of the, like the whole sequence in Cindy's house is really boring. And the cat and mouse scene could have been longer than it was. It just, this is one part setting up things, one part exposition, showing, not telling. But it still feels like it was telling, not showing. I don't know. I could be wrong. I could have made a mistake, but... This Stargirl episode just didn't do it for me. I really didn't like this episode. I don't know if it was because of the, the way it was shot. I don't know if it was just how annoying Our Man is becoming. Because he's just... His whole thing is, I'm pissed off and ragey. That's it. I think he should be more than that. And he's not. Yet he's a, he's a raging teen. But this is supposed to be a superhero show. It just... <sighs> this is similar to one of the problems that the DC cinematic universe, the extended universe has. It's this show is the encapsulation of that. It's let's not give our main hero time to breathe. It's let's throw in all of the extra stuff now. This show should have been called Stargirl and the Justice Society, not just Stargirl, because it seems like they're just shoving all these heroes, all this stuff in, which I'm super happy about. I'm geeking out about it. And Legends of Tomorrow did that, but they were introduced subtly over time. Like, Arrow had a couple seasons before he had any other vigilantes show up. Flash had a season before he had uh, characters show up. This isn't doing that, and it's a failure. Well, anyway. So yeah, you know my feelings about Stargirl. So let's get on to Snowpiercer. The one I'm excited to talk about. Now, Snowpiercer... Things have gone to hell. First off, we have Miles, who's now in the engine. Officially, he knows the whole secret, knows everything. Letting in LJ, of all people, into the engine. And she's astounded, sees that Mr. Wilford isn't there. And she also sees Javi driving the train, listening to music, not paying attention to anything. And for a second, she doesn't look like she wants to slit his throat and kill everybody. She stops herself. But she is stressed out, angry, and she also steals a photo from Melanie's section of her and her daughter to prove that she was in the engine. 
And because of this, this is the proof that the first class needs that they could overthrow Melanie. Specifically, the Folgers will overthrow Melanie and be in charge of the train. That's what they want. So the Folgers will, because they paid for the train, so they'll run everything now. And Melanie ends up being called to first class, and they say that we need to talk to Mr. Wolford in person. And it's like, fine, I'll call him and you take care of it. And say, no, that's not going to do it. And you have all the jackboots, the like the more commando uh, brakemen, are now on the side of first class. Specifically, the people who are initiating the coup. And they arrest Melanie. And they lock her up in hospitality. And she realizes she is screwed. The first thing she does is she, she goes to her desk and begs them for a spare... Give her a second to get a spare picture of her daughter that's in her desk. So if she's going to die, she can have this. And the jackboot female girl that's there lets her do it. She goes there, looks for her stuff, and hits a button. That's like an emergency button that's like locked down the engine room. And it's, so it's Miles, Javi, and Bennett. And Javi ends up opening the door for them and letting them in. Because he's afraid, he's like, oh, we should just tell them the truth. They won't kill us because they need us for the train. Not realizing that these people are crazy enough that they will kill everybody that's involved. And Bennett ends up sealing the tr- the engine. So it's just him and Miles controlling everything. Because Miles is, was kind of making sure everything was okay. Because he was figuring out the math behind everything. And this is a very scary point. Because essentially you have them in charge. Also... At the back of the train, finally, the revolution is going to happen. And Till ends up taking Leighton to the back of the train. She meets all of them. She admits that she's one of them. She puts on the sash, because the red sash, and they proceed to go up train. But first, they have a couple of Splinter Cell members who end up going up front. You have the last Australian, who we found his name is Murray, going to the drawers to get out an army. They're going to get Strong Boy and Pike and uh, the other guy. And they're going to set everybody up to fight from the drawer section. Then you have another character working with the electricians. And they're going to cut off all all the radios. So that's cool. So you have all these little setups that are happening. And so Leighton and his army with Till end up going up, up, up. They get to third class and the brakemen are there waiting for them. And Rourke is there and... Leighton says, listen, we don't want to hurt you, Rourke. You're a good cop. You're a good guy. You know this is fucked up. What's going on is fucked up. There's no... Wilfred, what are you going to do? Just stay inside. Stay inside. Just give up. We'll need you after all this is done. Just relax. And so after talking about him, and Oz running away because he sees this army with a bunch of people with knives and weapons, Rourke is like... Oh, man. I gotta tell my wife now that there is no Welford? What the fuck? So, all the brakemen have stepped down. So now it's third class and the tailies going forward. And you have Miss Audrey from the night car helping them out, too. And meanwhile, first class hears about the uprising. Because at first, like, saying, Well, listen, we have to make an announcement that the Folgers are now in charge of the train and tell them everything that is going on. That's what we're gonna do. And then they find out, oh god, there's resistance, they're coming up. We're in trouble. And so they decide to send the jackboots to 
the front line to stop them, led by Gray. Gray was the jackboot, not the one who's all scarred up, who likes the cold air touching him. This is the one who was involved with the coup, the one who like who quote unquote likes uh, Ruth. And so he is going to lead the army against Layton. So he's the commander on that side, and it's they get into a f- fight. First off, there's one underneath the train because the coolest thing ever. The third class actually make a scorpion, essentially a pike launcher, underground. So as long as the jackboots walk towards them, they get impaled with foot-long spikes. And it's a very cool scene of them setting it up and shooting and launching and killing all the jackboots. It takes a while for them to load up, but it's sealed it up so they can't get past them. And then eventually, when they run out of ammo, one of them sacrifices himself to save the day. So that is going on. Then you have the other part of Leighton and all of, of the tailies plus Till fighting Grey at the night car. And it's a great scene. It's super violent and there is casualties on both sides. And at the end, you have uh, Grey retreating with his group and taking the high ground, which is the entrance to the second class and they've locked that up so now officially the tailies have made it to the night car so they have control from the night car back and there's lots of wounded in Layton. seeing all the death is starting to get a little mentally fatigued now with murray and dr or henry the doctor who's in charge of the drawers they revive strong boy and strong boy who's supposed to not be able to talk starts speaking in mandarin or korean we're not sure like, how the hell do you know Korean? What the hell's going on? Very confusing. He gets up. They get up the other characters, and they go to open up the door for Pike. And Pike is missing. Now, Pike was the asshole at the first episode who was kind of contesting Leighton's being in charge. He's the one that led the revolution, the one who was didn't really, wasn't a thinker, was more of a doer. He'd be like, I'm going to run and do this. Obviously an antagonist. So we see him at the end. He's talking to first class. They give him a huge thing of cake and a big cup, a chocolate shake. And he says, you want Leighton? For a little more of this, I will give you everything on him. And he breaks it down. He says, listen, Leighton's a good cop. He's a good man. He's a a strategist. But he's not a soldier. He's not a warrior. He thinks too much with his heart. And this is going to just keep stressing him out. All you got to do is keep picking at him. Just keep hitting at him. And eventually, he'll tire out. And this is a moment of they know that if they keep just hurting people, killing people, it's going to stress them out and shut them down. So, last thing, going back to Melanie. Melanie's in hospitality, and she finally has that blowout with Ruth. And Ruth says, you've been making fun of me this entire time, since the beginning. And Melanie admits exactly what happened. She admits... Mr. Wolford hasn't been on the train since launch day. Melanie stole Snowpiercer from her, uh, from him. She left him because he wanted Snowpiercer to just be essentially a huge party until the end. The end. He said they would not have lasted one revolution if he was in charge. So she took it upon herself to take control to save humanity. And. We find out a little more about Ruth's feelings on this because she's hurt by this. She's hurt that she was lied to. She's felt bad about so many things. Like when she got a promotion in her job with a signed letter from Mr. Wilford, 
It's like, you gave that to me. And he's like, and she's like, yeah, but you deserved it. You worked so hard for it. It's like, well, it was a joke. This is all a joke. And what's going to happen is for your treacherous activities, you're going to be executed tomorrow for the horrible things you've done and you could burn in hell. And Ruth is just like, what are we going to do now? There's no Mr. Wilford. And Gray is pretty much telling her, well, you're the person they'll believe in. It'll be the Folgers and you. You'll be the head of hospitality. You'll do what they say and you'll keep order. I feel bad for Ruth, but I've got to say this. I want her gone so bad because she's a horrible person. Like, you feel bad for her, but her mentality and the fact that she remembers every person she's punished and she does not give a shit about the lower class, I think that she... I don't think she's a good person and I don't think she's ever going to get out of her own way. So, I don't know. I think this is not going to end well for her. And Melanie, she's kind of fucking screwed. She's locked up and they're going to kill her in the next day. She has no help whatsoever. This episode had so many revelations. It's crazy. And I'm so excited to see the season finale. Two hour episode. Wow. We had two episodes going on. And with that trailer, something's going to happen that may destroy Snowpiercer forever. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen? And do you think that Ruth deserves to survive this event? Or should she be punished? Let me know. Email me. Zaninspirekin.com So now let's actually get to the last show, or first show, depending. We're talking about Nosferatu Season 2, Episode 3, The Night Road. This episode dealt with a lot of issues. First off, we have Vic using the shorter way to show up at her father's house, which we found out that her dad is now living in a cabin by a lake, and he's gone dry. Like, I love the fact that she wakes up, she's ready to get up, she sees her dad, sees all her old notebooks, they're talking, they're being really nice, and she goes to her pocket to reach for her nips, and he's like, nope, the nips aren't there, I dumped them out by the lake. And she's like, wait, what? He's like, this is a dry house, and I wish I could have been uh, sober when you were growing up, and I'm sorry for that. But I'm here now, you could stay here, I can get you a job, I can do anything for you, but no drinking here. And Vic is, like, confused. Like, on the one hand, she's happy for her dad. But on the other hand, he's betrayed her because she's surviving by essentially following her dad's footsteps. She's now an alcoholic. And she doesn't know what to do. So she ends up leaving her dad and going to her mom's house where her mom has gotten better. She has a boyfriend named Steve. She's dyed her hair. And her daughter's going to essentially crash there and live there. And she tells her mom what happened. She says, listen, I got drunk and lit the house on fire. I almost burned the house down. And her mom's like, fine, you can stay here. It'll be okay. Just sleep it off. And the minute her mom leaves, what does Vic do? She goes into her mom's cupboard and pulls out a bottle of booze and starts to drink it. Vic taking her dad's footsteps was something I didn't expect. I was hoping it would never happen because she was the straight edge in the first season. But it's interesting character development to see how self-destructive she's become since all of this started. And also she's haunted by the fact that she, the love of her life got killed and it was actually her fault that he died. And I don't think, I think it's making her guarded and not being willing to go out and put herself out there for Lou. Because Lou... It loves her and he just she doesn't want to let anybody in anymore so I don't know so while this is going on you have 
everything going on in Christmas land with Millie being pissed off that her dad left without staying. She left the boundaries of Christmas land and found a hidden area behind Gumdrop Mountain. And what is in this hidden section? There's a house that looks like her old house. And in the house, she finds the ghost of her mother and some clothes and a mirror that makes her look human again. Freaks her out. She doesn't know what to do. Now, really conflicted. Now, going back to Lou and Bruce, they're at the house. Lou is working on some stuff. And who shows up in a big truck? Bing, with a motorcycle. And this scene is actually very stressful because he says, Oh, you're the Harley man. Uh, I got a bike I need you to fix. What's wrong with it? Uh, it's, it's not working. And he's going back to the script thing. First he talks to Bruce a little bit and is a little more conversational with him. But he goes to Lou and he's kind of a jerk about it. Not jerk, he's being weird. And as they're talking and he's checking things out, he notices the gas mask and the tank in the back seat and he realizes oh god this is the guy who worked with charlie manx picks up his phone he says listen i can help you out i gotta find the part just give me a second and he the phone rings and it's actually to vic's mom's house because vic called and he didn't pick up the phone so he knows where vic is and he said that he loved her and he says yeah listen uh it's lou i need to know about that part and he says the secret the password for for uh bruce sorry wayne for wayne like his password which is batman's home address he says i need the part for you know 123 uh something's up a lane and listen obi-wan you're my only hope you get that and he hangs up he ends up fighting bing gets away meanwhile wayne has disappeared he's running to charlie and charlie's trying to entice him get him interested and then being a good kid, Wayne says, what's the password? And Charlie, for a second, stops, but then he says, there are no passwords in Christmas land. So, Wayne runs away, bumps into Lou, who's also run away, and they're hiding in the woods. They end up calling the cops, and the cops end up calling Vic, letting her know what's going on. And he says, listen, I'm sorry about what I said. I know you left early night. I'm sorry. Listen, we're okay, but this is really scary shit. And so Vic says, listen, I got you guys a flight. You're going to go to Logan Airport, and then Hutter is going to pick you up. And that's uh, Maggie's girlfriend. And they'll take you somewhere safe. And he's like, "Are you, you're going to be there, right? And he's like, I'll be there when I, after taking care of this. And Lou Strip says, what the hell? You're, are you, I get, you're going on a suicide mission after fucking Manx? Listen, be here for us. We don't want you to die. Forget about Manx. Just be here for us. That's what we want. And Vic just obstinately says, nope, I'm not doing that. And she ends up getting ready to kill Manx. And so now this leads to one of the best parts of the episode. And that's one of the parts that I enjoyed the most. Is that Charlie goes back to Parnassus. And first off, awesome cameo by Tom Savani, guy who worked on... uh, Night of the Living Dead and all the different uh, George A. Romero zombie movies. Also, he was in From Dust Till Dawn and various other things, playing the Snake Man. That was kind of old Snake, rather. That was cool seeing that. But the episode is, or the scene is, that Charlie goes back to Honest Abe 
and he asks him for a favor. He wants to be introduced to the Hourglass Man, another strong creative. And it's a very tense scene because Abe's like, I don't do introductions anymore. I'm not going to help you with this. And Charlie ends up pulling a favor out of him, saying, listen, there was a time you needed help. I helped you out. So this time I'm calling in your debt. So Abe agrees to it, but he says, I wish you were dead. And as and then at the in Parnassus, the phone rings. It's Millie wanting to talk to uh, Charlie. And Abe says, tell my goddaughter that I miss her. And Charlie tells Millie that his that honestly misses her. And then we find out that Millie brings up the house she found. And Charlie says, did you go outside the boundaries of Christmas land? Because only naughty children go to beyond the boundaries. And I didn't think you were a naughty girl. He's like, no, 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 no. I was just wondering. I was just wondering. You wouldn't fib to me, would you? No, 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 no. Just wondering. And it's getting very dangerous at this point. Now, last episode we talked about, do you think that Millie would betray Charlie? At this point, more is going on that Charlie has been really mean to Millie and Millie's starting to grow up. And this is not good. This is not going to end well for her. I think Charlie may try to kill her. We don't know, though. We're going to have to wait and see. But that scene of this leading to Millie not trusting her dad anymore, and at the end of the episode, Millie goes back to the house, cuts off the head of one of those skeletal deers that we see all the time, and leaves it on the doorstep for her ghost mom. Ghost mom opens up and looks at her. And it's just a very awkward scene of just, is that a present? Is that a warning? What is it? But I think it's the beginning of Millie changing. Now, going back to Vic, Vic ends up trying to kill... Charlie by going to Parnassus. She ends up showing up at Parnassus and Charlie sees her with, and she has a gas can and she's going to fucking burn the car again. And he says, Oh, hello, Victoria. Didn't expect to see you here. It's like, what, you're going to kill me with your little gas can? It's like, well, here's a fun little fact. This is the, this establishment's on the night road. Night road is a insight for strong creatives that are more dark than others and the fact that you're here means there's a darkness in you too now is this because you killed sweet little craig and all the sadness the fact that your your sins your lust your greed have ruined you and it's a very poignant point of showing that Vic has changed dramatically from the first season it's bringing all this back in this whole thing of her changing in evolving as a character. And it's just a very tense scene of them fighting. Vic tries to destroy the Wraith, fails miserably, and Vic runs off. And she runs off and ends up deciding, I can't do this, I can't beat him, it's not going to work. And she swallows her pride and goes home. She's going to drink herself under the table. Her mom stops her and pretty much says, Listen, you can't stay here. you got to go to your son. Because moms stay. We screw up. We make mistakes. But moms stay. And her saying that struck a chord with Vic that I thought was immensely amazing. I thought that was a great scene of her saying, we make mistakes, but we got to just keep moving forward. And it's her going to Maggie and a Hutter's house. And she meets Wayne and Lou. And Wayne is pissed off at her. He's like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, he's pissed off her mom, so she abandoned them, and then he's, she's trying to worm her way back in. And Lou is 
Like, you, you here for a visit or are you here for good? And she says, I'm here for good. I couldn't kill him. I'm here for good. And this sets up that she is going to try to be normal. And I hope that nothing bad happens to Wayne. I really hope not. The final end credit scene is the introduction of the Hourglass Man. A mysterious figure who we don't know anything about. He's sharply dressed. He's got an hourglass. And when Lou... Or when Abe calls him, he's like, what do you want, Abe? I don't take any recommendations. He stops and is like, oh, really? I've always wanted to meet Charlie Manx. And he looks at an hourglass and says, but wait, who's Vic McQueen? And the episode ends. So, great episode. A lot of stuff going on. I'm curious to see where the, where the hourglass man fits in. Because I don't think he was in the original book. Well, this has already diverged completely from the original book. And I am excited to see where this goes. I do hope that Vic, one, she doesn't die, and two, she doesn't give up her convictions, and she stays with her family because they're important to her. I really want her to do well. We're going to have to wait and see, though. So, yeah, so I think that's it for the episodes of the week. Uh, Next episode, we're going to be doing a two-part, just like we did... Last time, instead we're going to do one episode, which is going to be just dedicated solely to the series season finale for Snowpiercer. And then we're going to do Television Tuesday with the next episode of Nosferatu, Stargirl, and then we'll probably do another television show. Like I said, I'm thinking it's probably going to be Mr. Glacia, or it's going to be, well, we'll see what other TV shows are out. So we'll determine on what shows are available. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it, uh, as always. It's awesome to hear your guys' comments, so let me know what you think. Email me at zanspirekin.com. Like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, like us on Instagram. And with that in mind, I'm your host, Zan. I'm Gonsville, and I will catch you guys next time. Keep watching TV. 